Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology, as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hi, beautiful people. I just came back from celebrating my 30th birthday in Tulum, Mexico, with a bunch of friends. And I recorded this interview with my dear friend, Aliza, shortly before. This conversation was definitely a long time coming. We've been connecting over astrology, poetics, dreams, and creative writing for years now. She is currently a meteorite journeyer and will also be TAing the upcoming Evolutionary Astrology Intensive beginning May 2nd. So turning 30, I just entered a seventh house year in annual perfections, which for me is a Mercury year. And apt for a Mercury year, creative writing and reading for pleasure has stepped up to the forefront of my being. My trip to Mexico prompted a new creative writing project, which I've begun sharing here. It's Hungry Ghosts of Paradise, and I currently have two chapters out on this podcast. And I feel that this inspiration about creative writing was further seeded by this conversation that I had with Aliza, who is truly one of my favorite writers. Hearing her share some of her pieces filled me up with a palpable longing to write more. Her capacity to translate and embody the dream through writing and the sensitivity and exquisite quality of her vision inspires me so much. In this episode, we discussed dreams and our direct experience with the transpersonal phenomenon of them, and we also shared selections of our writing that have been influenced by dreams and dream images. Aliza is a writer whose process circles around and through astrology, film, music, visual art, sociology, psychology, and the dream space. She values process and mistakes vulnerability, intimacy, and imperfection. She is a searcher, and her holy grail is deeper and deeper kindness. Visit her website at curriculoenergy.com. That is spelled C-H-A-R-I-K-L-O-Energy.com. May this episode inspire your dream journal, your notebooks, and your recognition of shapes, faces, and scenes in the clouds rolling by outside. An announcement before we proceed, the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive is approaching. It will be the 10th run of this beloved program. April 29th is the last day to enroll, and we begin May 2nd. This is a lineage of astrology that I consider a wisdom school and a gateway for deepening one's conversation with the soul as well as one's realization of self as a soul. At a technical level, evolutionary astrology utilizes the placements of Pluto and the lunar nodes to start with as an entry point for contemplating the narrative of the soul, its fascinations, its reasons, its very reasons for incarnating, its patterns that it brought into this life from prior lives, and the dharmic trajectory of this lifetime. 
this gives life, you know, like I've been reflecting on myself as a soul and reflecting on my natal chart as this kind of like scrying into my soul and my soul's mysteries. And it never gets old. It never gets boring. It never stops offering depth and transformation and like a a deeper kind of incarnating into life, like this creative visioning of, you know, if I chose to be here, how do I like fully live out the the reason that I'm here, right? Or kind of embody the promise of the natal chart. How do I approach my challenges or the dramas of my life from the perspective of my soul working things out, reading between the lines of struggle to bring out the magic or the fruition, right? Or being resourceful by recognizing my gifts to play those up and lean in more deeply to who I am. I share astrology from this perspective of, and this really, this invitation to develop a personal relationship with it, to deepen your own inner vocabulary of the archetypes, building your own associations, and seeing how you're already in an astrological pantheon of archetypes that you already have relationships with these planets and with the signs and to from there really deepen and expand and find friendship and find allyship with all of these energies even the ones that stretch you a little bit um, or that you're like I don't like this sign or like I think this planet's scary you know but to go beyond that and find your dialed in relationship with that energetic Working with evolutionary astrology, Pluto and the lunar nodes is my favorite way to enter the natal chart, as well as an utterly profound and soul electrifying way to enter the mystery of self-reflective and lucid incarnate life. This program comprehensively explores the foundations of EA, working with the signs, planets, houses, aspects, and how to read the natal chart as a narrative whole. It consists of pre-recorded modules, transmissions really, as well as weekly live meetings where we discuss the material and get to know each other. And it culminates in a series of live workshop classes where we work with our own charts. You can learn more, read student testimonials, and enroll via the link in the show notes. I will also leave the link for need-based scholarship applications. I'm looking forward to going on this journey with you psychonauts and astronauts. Very soon, coming up, May 2nd, April 29th is the last day to enroll. And here is my conversation with Aliza Rood about writing and dreams. Welcome. I'm here with Aliza Rood, and this has been a long time coming for us to be having this conversation. So I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to finally be talking to you too. Very excited. So we've been talking about astrology and dreams and really like, I think you used this phrase one time about like the hyper real quality of the mundane. Mm, What was it? (laughs) Yeah, just like there's a way I feel like that we both artfully track just like daily experiences maybe it was the hyper mundane 
Oh yeah, maybe it was the hypermundane. That does sound familiar. I may have coined that, I'm not sure, <laughs> but that definitely sounds like something I would have said and we would have spoken about before. Yeah, and you're one of my favorite writers. Like every Aww. time I read what you share, it's so. I mean, it is like a evocation of the dream state. Oh, that's such a huge compliment. That's honestly um, exactly what I'm looking for when I write. So thank you. Wow, I really appreciate that. So for the audience, um, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your astrology practice? Um, Just, yeah, at this current moment in time. Sure. Um, A little bit about me. Um, I feel like I want to start with my chart because that feels the most resonant for this conversation. Um, I'm a Virgo rising, Sun in Cancer and Mercury chart ruler in Cancer, Um, Moon in Aquarius, and perhaps most uh, profoundly for this conversation, Neptune um, on the IC. So uh, I feel like that, to me, that says a lot about me, but um, I, I um, currently, I live in Oakland, which is where I grew up, and um, I've been, this past year, sort of incubating a lot of material, um, and now I'm sort of finally in this moment of bursting into life again, so um, I've been, like, very quiet and um, in some sort of like womb-like state, recovering from some things, including COVID. And, uh, I finally like decided on some things to do in the outer world that feel very good to me, really solid, um, like good plans. So I just started a training program, um, to be a peer support provider. Um, I've been back into giving energy sessions remotely. Um, And I've been this past year doing a lot of my own research on something in astrology on the vertex, which I won't get into yet, uh, because that is still definitely incubation stage. Um, But now too, I've I've just started Meteorite, um, which is your amazing group of astrologers um, that will be meeting for a year. And I've like never been more excited really for something um, like in anticipation of it. It feels like a think tank of astrologers and, um, and it's been really beautiful so far. Um, so I feel like I'm a person who's very 11th housey. I have a stellium in cancer in the 11th, including my son. And um And groups and friends are so important to me, but I'm also a deeply private person. Um, I don't have much of an internet presence at the moment, Um, but yeah, I'm a deeply, deeply private person who loves to be around people and in the throng. And I think I bring a lot of my privacy through the world that way, sort of like in my own bubble that sometimes gets sort of like permeated or like, uh, you know, meets other bubbles um, briefly and sort of becomes one and then I move on again. And my dreams really inflect my quote, lived experience. 
Was that an answer? Yeah, <laughs> I can't that's remember. Beautiful. Okay. Um, you know, like Neptune on the IC really stuck with me as thinking about, you know, having this like dreamy undertone to the chart and like mm-hmm. that kind of bottomless depth with Neptune there at the bottom of the chart. Um, it's Neptune and Sagittarius, right? Yes, and Sag. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I really have a like the way that Neptune and Sagittarius people dream is something Mm -hmm. else. Like (laughs) I wish I had that placement sometimes, but even just being around Neptune and Sagittarius people or talking about dreams with them, Mm -hmm. I get more vivid dreams. Like Mm -hmm. there's often a continuity and a storyline and like a whole other developed world. And there's something about that placement that I really suspect these are souls that have incarnated before in communities that dreamt together. Oh, yes, like yes, yes. Indigenous. I, I really, I, yeah, I really, really strongly vibe with that and have thought a lot about that in anticipation of this conversation. Thought a lot about, you know, like the sort of uh, Western way of relating to dream life versus other cultures, you know, dream lives. And it's yeah, do you want to say really more limited. about that? Yeah, um, I was in a class with, um, I think her name is Amber Rose Balk, and um, she does dream interpretation. I I worked with her. It was incredible. Uh, But she talked a lot about, you know. I know Amber too. Oh, yeah. She's she's amazing. Yeah, she's truly wonderful. And she brought so much to that class. Um, It was a class with Ren Butler. She brought so much to that class, um, but particularly in terms of the way she relates to dreams. And she taught me a lot about how, you know, in, in many cultures, dreams are not thought to be intended for the person who dreams them, the recipient. They're shared with the whole community. And once they're shared, they belong to everyone in the community. And that means that, you know, moving forward, anyone who has that dream shared with them could bring that dream into future experiences, you know, as a guide, um, as a reference point. And I just find that really beautiful and true. That feels very true to me. I think that, you know, um, growing up here in the United States, um, under capitalism, you know, in the particular culture that I was brought up in, um, dreams were something to relate to as just something sort of like quirky, funny, uh, not particularly meaningful, sort of the detritus of our days sort of remixed, right? But um, I just, yeah, I just find that extraordinarily limiting and not true. <laughs> From my experience, there's so much more depth to dreams and also I'd very much like to discuss, you know, with you, what is dreaming? Because I think we also have a very limited conception of what is dream life and what is real life. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, something that comes to mind is that there is this Western or like modern psychological perception Mm -hmm. that dreams happen inside of the skull, like they Mm -hmm. happen inside of the brain as opposed to even like the consciousness being a receptive vector, like the Mm -hmm. images or um, 
you know, I think of ideas even like just floating around in general in the waking life and that Mm -hmm. our brains receive them. So in the dream time, sometimes I have the experience of a dream that feels like more my own material versus Mm -hmm. a dream that feels like it was a visitation. But even so, the line gets blurred because even if it's my own dream, it still has qualities of a visitation. Mm -hmm. But I was conditioned in the the worldview that dreams are just this private psychological experience. But once I started having more mystical experiences or having precognitive dreams or even having the same dream as other people Mm -hmm. and kind of meeting on the astral plane, my direct experience showed me that there was more to the dream realm. Yes. And as you say that, actually, I reconsider the word privacy as I used it earlier, because uh, I don't think that dream life is private. I do think that there are visitations, it's permeable, it's porous. And uh, yeah, privacy implies there's some sort of like boundary that can't be crossed. I, I definitely don't relate to dreams that way. Um, and the way that they influence my life, there aren't boundaries there. I mean, they really, there really aren't. You know, they come through as some sort of um, influence in the same way that, you know, going to a class and a lecture would come through as an influence. They're very influential. Right. Mm -hmm. And many other people's lives, I know. Mm -hmm. And to the point too about sharing dreams and the whole community getting to benefit from that, that feels so meaningful to me as well and also so true. And then there's this kind of comparative impoverishment then of the world where we don't do that Mm -hmm. Um, because there are certain dreams that other people have shared with me that have um, expanded my awareness, like inspired me at some kind of subliminal level to dream more vividly as well, Mm -hmm. but also to have those mythos or those stories also permeate and influence my consciousness in a meaningful way. And it's like, the oracle, the internal oracle, you know, that we all have. And um, I wonder, you know, how much richer every individual's dream becomes when they share them in a group too. Absolutely. And also just sort of related to that, have you ever had someone dream about you? I mean, that too is like, where, where exactly are we? Like, where are we situated in that? Where are they situated, you know, in this dreaming where you're included in someone's dream? Are yeah. you not there? <laughs> I mean, I think that's it's interesting. Yeah. There, I feel like there's gradients sometimes where it's like, we can have a dream about maybe like a public figure that we don't have a personal relationship with. And so mm-hmm. the dream may be psychic or it may be a projection, but I have a friend who I dream of often. And when I tell her about the dreams, it's always like extremely synchronistic and relevant for her to the point that it's like, we just know that there's some soul connection. Like we feel that anyway, but the way that we share dreams has that quality to it. Yeah. Um, And sometimes, yeah, when people tell me about the dreams that I'm in, like it has this encoded message for me that is actually very relevant to my current experience. Absolutely. And I also feel like um, a thing I've been really thinking about lately 
in regard to my dreams is um, there are people who have been in my life who are no longer in my life. And some of those uh, exits have been big ruptures for me and for the other person. And, you know, we haven't spoken in years, but then I'll have dreams in which that person and I have some sort of cathartic experience. And I don't think it's a one-to-one in lived reality, like waking life and putting lots of quotes on everything. Um, but I, I do think that something's happening there. Like I, I wouldn't presume to think that for the other person, something has changed as deeply in lived reality as it has for me, but it has, the dream has changed something for me. And I think that that perhaps because we live on so many levels, on another level, some sort of soul level, um, that there is something that has shifted between us. And um, I'm really interested in that. I know too, that that is real. Like I had a relationship with someone that ended badly many years ago. And for years, we didn't speak to one another, but we had a mutual friend. And one night, both of us had the same dream. And we wrote both of us separately to this friend. We hadn't spoken in years. And we told the friend our dream and she told each of us, oh, the other one had the same dream. And then we got back in touch. Now this person's one of my closest friends and has been for many years. You know, So these dreams that we both had or this one dream that we shared provoked in real time a reconnection. I mean, that is so literal. Like that is in the lived space, you know, that we call reality. So yeah, I think there's much to consider in terms of the uh, weight and meaning and um, directives of dreams. Will you share with us some of what you've looked into about dream utopia? <laughs> well, I just, I had this, uh, I had this thought a couple of days ago because my partner works in architectural design. And so I've been really interested in architecture in this past year, um, just deeply looking into uh, what surrounds it, the meanings of architecture. You know, there's a lot there. It's very fraught and also very interesting. Um, but we were watching uh, Reinhold Martin talk about uh, his book, Utopia's Ghost. He was giving a lecture, and at the end of the lecture, near the end of the lecture, he talked about five categories of utopia, and the categories were islands, linguistic babel, inhuman scale, worlds within worlds, and roads to nowhere, which when I heard that, I just, my whole body was so lit up because for me, like that's dream life, <laughs> like that's that's the land of dreams. And so I was thinking about the idea of utopia and what can dreams bring into reality around our most idealistic sense of place. The word utopia itself is a little dicey for me, but the idea, you know, of these different sorts of experience of place is so fascinating to me. And I've been really diving into that um, in, my, in my actual life. I've been visiting buildings that I've been reading about or watching lectures about to have the experience of being in that space. 
because dream space to me is so evocative and so sensual. And I love to bring those memories or just flashes of those pictures into my life when I'm like walking my dog and I see a house that is like the literal manifestation of a house I saw at the seashore in my dream, but now it's on a street in Oakland. These things are just like so fun to me. I actually totally had that happen yesterday. Really? I got shown, yeah, I was brought to a new place in Portland um, that was like this forest with shrines in it and it's a cliffside and you have to go up an elevator to get to the cliffside you know collection of shrines and I'd had a dream that morning that had several details that you know led to it in the sense of like I was even driving or I was in a family vehicle I was in the back seat and like not a kid again, but in that kind of matrix of being, you know, my parents in the front seat, me and my brother in the back seat kind of energy. And um, we were driving and we reached this roundabout and it's a lot of traffic. And I was thinking about Saturn BPM, the uh, perinatal matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those listening, that's like the a correlation with the part of the birth process where the cervix hasn't dilated, but the contractions have started. It's a no exit kind of feeling. And the next matrix that comes after that is Pluto going through the birth canal and like the life or death experience of that. And after the um, roundabout, I was like, there's BPM three. It was like a road down, right? And like uh, this kind of descent process into the woods. And so later that day, I found myself on a path that looked very similar to what I'd seen in my dream. And it created that mapping point of, you know, and there was something about the day, something about this place I was visiting and the impact it had on me that it's like it reverberated into the past, like into the dream. There was just too many synchronistic details, you know, and when that happens, I feel, you know, I also, I cultivate that connection. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. I have a dream And I potentiate the dream by doing, you know, if the dream is that I go to the beach, Mm -hmm. you know, and I happen to be near a beach, I'm not really right now, then I go to the beach that day to echo what I saw in my dream. Yes, I absolutely love that and relate to that and do that as well. I often find myself in a situation Um, in the day-to-day that has occurred in my dream the night before, as you were explaining. And I I love that. Like, it's so exciting to hear another person share that, Um, which I have before, you know, that happens to people. It's it's really beautiful. Um, And what was I going to say about that? Something. Mm. Oh, shoot. I had something on the tip of my tongue about that. Well, I did have an experience last year where I dreamt, uh, and in my dream, my partner and I, we were standing sort of on like a, not a cliff exactly, but we were standing above like a sort of little town with thatched roof houses. And then there was a a boardwalk later in the dream where my dog almost fell through the slats. Then we ended up going that day just haphazardly to China Beach, which I hadn't been to since I was a child. But as we were exiting the car and looking down, you know, this long pathway, 
we were looking over a bunch of thatched roofs and there was then a like a little pier that we walked on to and I had already described this dream to my partner so even he noticed that it was replicating the dream but um oh I remember what I was going to say in 2020 I was alone really alone that year as many of us were and I was in a great deal of grief and processing and uh I was very scared and I had this dream well into the pandemic, but when we were still, you know, like sort of in the woods, I had this dream and I was still living in LA at the time. In the dream, I was in this big park in LA and I was with this couple who were a little younger than I am and their daughter who was about four or five years old. And it was a huge grassy field and there were all of these people, hundreds and hundreds of people, and they were in tiny groups, probably 20 feet apart from one another. We were all walking slowly over this wet grass. It was a really, really calm and nice experience. And we were walking towards something, I don't know what, but all together, this huge throng of people who were spaced out on the grass. And I was walking with my friends who are not real people in my life but in my dream, who knows? And their daughter was maybe, you know, 10, 20 steps ahead of us. She was skipping along. And then she just stopped and she threw her arms out and she threw her head back. And she said, I could just lose myself in this disaster. And we looked at each other like, what? And I woke up and I felt like this thrill of living in this disastrous time that I had been so afraid of. And I was very locked up in this very Saturnian way. I was like, I felt so hemmed in, so sort of deadened. And I woke up so alive, like my whole body felt alive. It was even like, it was erotic. And that little girl's expression, my dream of I could lose myself in this disaster, like I could just fall right into this really affected my day-to-day reality after that it felt thrilling I mean it was a very difficult time period for all of us but within that very difficult time period I found moments after that to feel really deeply alive I had a big Pluto transit going on as well (laughs) that is such a beautiful image like I was getting chills like rolling body chills when you shared it and I think that those, um, you know, when you share your experiences, both waking, the things you track, your vision and the waking life, and then your dream life, it's like full of enchantment in that way. Um, And I feel like that's, that's what I crave in writing. Like, if I were to go to a bookstore and thumb through, like, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for what you're talking about. (laughs) That's so sweet. You know that I feel the same way about yours. And I think that's, you know, we're drawn to each other's writing. (laughs) We have have a similar vibe and a similar lens on life that includes these things that, you know, I think in our world, you know, in the astrology world, a lot of people feel this way. Um, But outside of that, it's a little harder to find uh, people who think that magic is real and you know that it is. Um, I'd love to share actually a poem that's about my dreams 
Um, yeah. I think now is a good time for that. <laughs> um, it's actually called um, Things That Happened in My Dreams. And just a moment and I'll bring it up. Um, this poem includes some things that happened in my dreams. Rainbow and shadow on the wall next to a golden line drawing. Lizard tail of aloe. I blew your boyfriend in the jewelry box mirror, she tells me, very nonchalant. It rests on the wooden table. We blow all last words into handkerchiefs. Wake me up when the plane lands, you whisper to me at the end of a dream, from the pillow to my right, already awake. Then I wake and you're asleep. Nico's These Days plays a record of time pivoting from track to track. We run around and around to win. I knock my apple into grass green screen. We live by a freeway, we collage. A bathtub fills to the edge on a loop. We wander aimlessly adopting strays, tabbing the ears of our soft possessions. We wear the delicate world like a net, pulling it over our heads pour our hearts out to one another like batter. Desire constructs its turns, and all night a basement collects stray leaves where the door lies ajar. He texts me from a paused video game screen at Disneyland. I want to forget and pick up your fingers one by one, pressing invisible keys, black and white, but no sides to take against anything. The afternoon jerks at its leash, keeps toddling off left and right. Seagulls spread like a lady's fan, foreclosing on errors. We all notice this. The marquee full of typos. No one is forgiven. A delivery truck crashes into the ticket booth. What did you say about love? That it's something you finally think about while running in place at the gym, a marathon. Dogs are actually colors, says the doctor. A rainbow is made of many dogs. Because every other word is milk, I sink back into pajama strokes, try smiling with only the right side of my mouth. Along my spine is frozen light, lifting traps along a wire that leads the way into the woods at noon, where a picnic tips into darkness. Stars appear and drown in space. You can learn to stand back to back with anything. Even the straight line is starting over as a lilting partition with mortician sense of pace, impersonating the moon or a locked door. You said, nothing is written into nature. Then what is this thin blood doing in my wrist? Wow, that was so beautiful. There are so many like honeyed phrases that I just want to like go back and see and read again. Like the world is a net that we pull over ourselves. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? Like a picnic tipping into darkness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that is sort of what it feels like to live like your dream life or your imagination life is real life, which it is obviously, right? It's 
part of our living. So it's real. Right. It's like the other day I was at a restaurant and there was like a mini fridge underneath a um, kind of like a a little mini desk space with the um, cash register where like the wait staff would go to take care of the bill and whatnot. There's this mini fridge underneath it and it was open and there's a light on it. But from the corner of my eye, it looked like a staircase down into a basement, except it didn't look proportionate of like a normal staircase in a normal basement. It looked like a miniature one, but it was in my mind's eye for a moment real, Mm -hmm. you know, a good couple of seconds. And then when I looked at it, it's like, and registered what it was, it still had that film of like, well, it's also like a little like basement, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like a secret miniature basement. And having those um, perceptions as something that, you know, I've always had throughout my life Mm -hmm. and stick out to me more when I'm in the habit of catching and collecting them in my like writer brain. Totally. And yeah, writer brain, I think about, you know, I think about like the third and the ninth, the sixth and the twelfth, and metacosmios, and you know, just the way that our our literal surroundings, um, for some of us, feel very suffused with non-literal things, and um, that's a way of being. You know, like some people feel more literal about that. I have a partner who doesn't feel really influenced by you know dreams in the day to day or. Um, doesn't have a feeling of uh, being connected to some sort of spiritual thing outside of this reality, very scientific, you know, very based in the literal things that surround us in this world that feels like enough to that person. And it is enough. But for me, or for other people, there's something that comes through in those spaces that evokes something that is from elsewhere and the elsewhere is present as well. So, yeah, I mean, I just think the way that we live in our, um, in our surroundings um, can be very different from person to person. And those of us who bring in something that is more of spirit or ethereal, it isn't, um, it isn't like a cloudier version of real life. It is real life. Yeah. I want to share a story of something that happened recently. And I actually, it just kind of came full circle uh, 30 minutes before this conversation um, because I got a book in the mail that I ordered as a result of the experience. But during um, Pisces season, I think it was during either the Jupiter Kazemi or the Neptune Kazemi. I had a dream that involved a children's book um, where the premise was that, you know, the, the children's book was informing the person that if the sun appears in your inner consciousness, stop and look. And that's the poetic way of saying it. It's like the actual languaging in the dream was like, if the yellow ball drops into your head, stop and listen. Mm. And I offered the more poetic translated version of that dream to Twitter um, just because it felt whimsical and I wanted to share it. Mm -hmm. And Becca Tarnas replied 
saying like, have you read the book When the Sun Rose by Barbara Helen Berger? I feel like you might like it and it might potentiate your dream. Wow. And so I just got it in the mail. But when she gave me that suggestion, I decided, you know, I was like, that's what I'm going to do today. Like it was a Saturday. So I write the forecast. And then after that, I went to Powell's books and was not able to locate a copy of it because apparently it's kind of a rare mm-hmm. book. So then I looked it up. And when I looked it up on Google, I got a flashback of the dream. And so this picture book, When the Sun Rose, it features like this red border mm-hmm. and it's an almost square shaped book. And in the dream, I'd seen a spread of like several of these square shaped books with primary color, like yellow and red borders, just like the actual, you know? And so I know sometimes like growing up, I would encounter the idea, like, what if you have an experience and it triggers a dream memory and there's some scientific Mm -hmm. explanation to explain the magic away and say, it's not real that, you know, your mind kind of makes up the association. And I hate that shit. Like, yeah, I, shit <laughs> I it really was a real, you know, image. But the thing too, was that, you know, I didn't get to read the book until just today. And it's so beautiful. It's mm-hmm. so sweet. But I was able to read in the interim, the description. And even the description of the book was a profound blessing to me because it was around the time um, that my grandfather passed and the description of the book has something to do with the sun visiting and then the sun goes away and there's a sense that you know your friend hasn't left you even though they've left <laughs> I'm like getting emotional saying that and so I felt like the huge wave that passed through of just like grief and appreciation for my grandfather was just this, wow, like he left such a profound impact on my life. Like he is like the sun has set in some sense, but the impact, you know, and at the end of the book, you know, the sun, the sun appears in the story as a lion carrying a carriage. That's a yellow rose. (laughs) Like, it's just the sweetest thing. And when the lion goes back to the sun, there's just all of these yellow roses left in the house. Oh, it's so beautiful. (laughs) So beautiful. And also, I have to say, like, really synchronistic and, like, very moving to me, too, not only hearing your story about your grandfather and your feelings about him and his passing, but it also is such an evocation because when my grandmother died both my grandmothers died within a few months of one another they were both very important to me but my father's mother was like the most special person to me in my life when she died my cousin who's the exact same age as I am she sent me a picture of the sunset and she said our granny is the setting sun and so it just feels so (laughs) resonant with what you just shared which I think is also a beautiful thing about dreams like these images that come through us in our sleep, they can be like so sort of, what's the word, matched to other people's images, you know, dream images that evoke such profound losses or just experiences. 
And, you know, I've had a lot of losses in my life of important people and dreams that I've had about those people have been extraordinarily important to me. Just very important. Um, yeah, I, you know, I had a, a partner for half of my 20s who passed last year suddenly, and he visited me in several dreams afterward. And, you know, those, those visitations, I think, are very real. I don't know who he is now, <laughs> but he was there in my dream. And I don't think it was simply something locked into my own skull, as you mentioned earlier. Hmm. This is like the thing that we were talking about earlier, just constellated in terms of dreams, not just being for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. It totally just constellated in this intermingling of our experiences with our grandparents, yeah. our ancestors. Yeah, <laughs> very beautiful to me. I also too, it, you know, when you were talking, I had so many thoughts arising and one of them was that I've been thinking too about memory and um, I mentioned this to you that we have different kinds of memories in our waking life and in our dream life, or at least I have this experience. I'm not sure how it comes up for other people, but I've been thinking a lot lately about how in a dream, you may have some event from your past come up or just, you know, like an image that you saw once years ago that in your waking life was unimportant and completely left you. You've never thought of again. And yet in your dream life, it's evoked. And there it is again. It's real. You can remember that it happened. You didn't think it was a necessary thing to continue to think about in your waking reality. But in your dream reality, you did or something is saying to you, this is actually more important than you gave it credit for. I love that. <laughs> like, I love that so much. Yeah, there's, it's interesting. I don't know if I have the experience so much in dreams of memory from waking life that I've forgotten about. Mm -hmm. But for me, it does happen with touch and intimacy, like just body locked memories or something. But they're not, you know, we talk about the body storing trauma or something, and it's like, I'm getting massage work or like engaging in intimacy. And I'm seeing like an image from kindergarten that I haven't thought about for years. Mm -hmm. And it just like pops yeah. into my field so psychedelically. And it is this really rich, um, like waking dream or like liminal state kind of experience, because I don't know what, you know, triggered or evoked that. Like it's right. seemingly so random, like it doesn't feel necessarily mythically connected, right. but there's just that sense of um, almost like the DMT kind of energy of like mm -hmm. seeing your life flash before your eyes, that mm -hmm. there's this record somewhere um, that we don't always have conscious access to all of the like slides yeah, um, but they're there. Yeah, absolutely. That makes that makes me think about how I don't know much about like Akashic records, but I know that you do know some, and I know that like um, Stephanie does Akashic yeah. records mm -hmm. readings, and other people that we're friends with. Um, yeah, it definitely makes me think about that. It evokes that, and 
makes me more interested in finding out more about Akashic Records. I um, I was also thinking of another, let's see, I have to look at notes. I'm such yeah, a- Yeah, do you want to share another piece with us? <laughs> I, well, I wanted to- I you know I love that, that one about the apple. Oh, the apple, yes. That, that dream was quite compelling. Um, I can share that, but what I w- wanted to share- was simply from the notes that I sent you as such a little Virgo rising. I sent a list of <laughs> notes. Um, but this is something I really want to talk about with you um, if you're interested. I said, I think a good question to ask ourselves and one another is, when are we asleep and when are we awake? Let's consider that this isn't being asked as a metaphor, that there may be something very literal about this answer. Because where do we go when we sleep? Our body is still in the same place that we left it. So what does it mean if in daylight, in our day conscious life, we drift away? If our body stays both day and night in the same place we left it, then when we drift away, even momentarily, aren't we in the same state we live in in our dreams? And when we are in reality, where is that? Is what we experience there objectively the same reality for everyone? Obviously, in some ways, yes, and in many ways, no. So what is it we are living in, swimming in, that we call real life? This always interests me. We deliberately will seek out states in waking life that we call dream states, like watching films, for example. Why do we do this? What is it we're longing for that we create these states to be in while awake that we call dreaming? I'm interested in these questions. I don't have answers to them. And I'm also interested in how this relates to the 12th house. I, that kind of reminds me of people that I've either, either spoken to directly or they're telling me anecdotally about someone else, like a legendary mm-hmm. kind of person. Mm-hmm. But someone who has such an intense dream life that they almost wake up to relax. Mm-hmm. Like they're like battling demons or like going on these like quests you know or having these like year-long experiences in yeah, a night that's Neptune and Sag. <laughs> yeah and then they wake up and it's like okay time to cook time to take care of the house time to go to work and it's like the chill version of life but like <laughs> the real life is happening in the dreams and some people I think are grounded more in the waking life and some people are grounded more in the the sleeping. Like I feel like I've encountered people that are wildly sophisticated in the dream realm, like having these advanced <laughs> kinds of dreams and, um, you know, astral traveling and like even helping other souls or like helping certain souls like cross over to the afterlife or like helping people's soul fragments. And they're like doing dharmic service on the dream plane but then in the waking world they like maybe struggle to pay their bills or they like yes you know work these (laughs) intense jobs like several months out of the year and then travel the other months like there are people that I feel like actually have more investment in the dream realm and Mm -hmm. that they kind of get by in the waking life and I'm a little bit like Sometimes I have the experience, um, my dream life has gems in it, 
but a lot of my dreams are short. I don't have a lot of Sega dreams and I have a lot of um, practice or philosophy around weaving dreams or weaving ideals into like real life in quotes. And so like figuring out how to like Saturn manifest, like create a business. Like there's been times where so much is happening in my waking life. And I'm like, so invested in like manifesting and creating here that when I sleep, I'm just sleeping mm-hmm. versus times in my life where I've been deeply struggling in the waking life, uh, maybe going through some major crisis. And my dreams are like epic Sega quests with guides okay. that are giving me advice on how to navigate. <laughs> and so part of me I just kind of want it all like I would like to be having the you know manifest 3d real life experience and the vivid dreams please but (laughs) I noticed that kind of different differential yeah Yeah. when you say Sega are you talking specifically about like like video games is that what you're referring to or what is Sega Sega like an epic um oh like a saga okay Sega saga saga okay yeah well that's the way I say it but I love I love that you said Sega because it just for me it it brought in like the whole realm of video game space like virtual reality space right and And like going to the next level yeah absolutely and how dreams can be so like that I had a dream (laughs) the same dream where um I had that you know just the one yesterday in relation to the experience that I had later a dream character gave me a tarot reading. She was like, this card is for your life purpose. And I remember the card too. Like I'm feeling shy about sharing it here, but there was a sense that like, I actually get readings on the dream plane. Like it's really cool. Like that's not something, you know, I've gotten I Ching readings too, or like the moon. I look up at the moon and the moon is like a hexagram. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. God, I love all of that. That's so amazing. I don't think I've ever had a tarot reading in a dream. That's so beautiful. But it does also make me think of how, you know, we have paths to astrology. All of us have very profound paths into this work and how I forget so many clues that were left for me before I discovered, quote, astrology when I was a child, I had these dreams all the time where I would look into the sky and there would be three suns or all the planets would be there. And it would be some sort of cataclysm, but it was absolutely thrilling. And that to me is just like, yeah, like you have a deep investment in space. And I didn't realize like how deep it was, but my dream life was telling me from the very beginning. I I found this journal entry from like, kindergarten in like a like a chest a dresser or something in my childhood room and I was talking about how Pluto and Jupiter were my favorite planets wow I was like Pluto is like amazing for you (laughs) yay that's a really amazing thing to find and Jupiter is my chart ruler too so yeah those clues have always been there when I think of you, I think of Jupiter and Virgo. That's the first thing I think of always. I That's feel like funny. you really embody Jupiter and Virgo. I'm starting to understand it more. <laughs> like it's yeah. actually been fleshed out. Yeah, I, I feel it really strongly. Yeah, all of that is so fascinating to me. 
But the thing about to go back to this like um, mistake I made that was very interesting to me, like misinterpreting Sega as the video game, <laughs> makes me think so much about how um, you know. Yeah, now I'm I'm dating someone who's an architect. We talk about architecture all the time, and architecture is completely fascinating to me because, of course, you know what we what we think about building and what we do build into the world or not we, because this is like a very specific, you know, people who do this, who I'm definitely not uh, allowed to do those kinds of things. And um, there's all kinds of hierarchy there, which is very interesting, but architecture influences our reality, you know, like what's built into the space around us or what isn't built um, the space that's left or taken very much influences us. And I'm very interested in dream architecture you know, in the, in the spaces I inhabit in my dreams. And they come up, you know, as themes um, throughout my life. Often I find myself at the seashore looking at houses at the seashore, which are very beautiful and sort of relic-like, these like white bleached out houses that are missing walls or missing ceilings. Um, and they're sort of little groupings of them. Very evocative to me. And every so often they begin to show up again in my dreams or there have been times in which I, I've been in the basement a lot in my dreams or in parking garages, something subterranean. Often I'll find myself in my house in my dream or in my grandparents' house, um, finding new rooms through the basement, you know, like moving through the basement, opening doors and there are new rooms there I never knew were there but they've actually always been there and they're extraordinarily exciting to find. Um, yeah. Or like spaceships show up a lot in my dreams. Um, it's, it's very interesting to me, you know, like what we shape in our dreams is the space that we are in or what is shaped for us. That to me is very interesting because place is so influential on us. And so our dream space is very influential on us too, or I would presume it is for me. Mm. I, yeah, that kind of reminds me that houses and cars are my main dream motifs, mm, like cars. vehicles, yes. but it's interesting. It's, it's a really, I've had so many different car dreams that like surprises me how many new variations of car dreams there can be, but it gives me a lot of information about my soul and how my soul and my ego are getting along because mm. You know, I had like the pleasure one time of like a lucid dream where I was driving, I was in the driver's seat and there was just an open road with like beautiful undulating ribbons and like green, you know, pasture surrounding it. And I felt like perfection in it. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, these dreams have some kind of symbolic key. Like I've had dreams of like, flying off a freeway overpass with another person who was driving and that having something to do with my relationship with them or mm -hmm. dreams where like the car is having trouble starting or it's stalling or dreams that, you know, like there's so much information about the who's driving, who's in the car, what kind of car it is, like yes. even like public transit too, as like a collective version of it. But, oh, yes, yes. It's so interesting how it shows you sometimes how you are feeling about yourself. Yes, your agency. Like often I will be in the in the passenger seat in the car in my dreams, which 
for me, knowing myself, it's it's very telling. <laughs> you know, if I'm having dreams where I'm in the passenger seat, it's not uh, I'm not doing so great. Generally, that's the information I'm getting. That something I'm not um, allowing myself to be in my own yeah. agency. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, really the dream that I had with like the freeway crash kind of situation there was someone else driving and at some point I was like we're about to crash and I like tried to intervene yeah and there was something about that messaging too of like I was having an imbalanced relationship with even trying to like guide this person in my life right as like wait you know and like our vehicle together has just derailed like and it really did shortly thereafter in the waking life reveal itself as such but the dream was a um foreshadowing you know it was confirming the undercurrents that I was already intimately aware of but when the dream came it was like so confrontational because it was like okay the time is here and if I keep ignoring this truth like crash energy yes crash it's very psychological. And in this way, I, you know, like I relate to your story in this way where I definitely feel the psychological component coming in and our, you know, our ability to see things before they happen, um, a precognition that we can access in our dreams sometimes and can't access in our waking life. But we know from a dream sometimes that we have an intelligence, we're aware of a shortcoming or you know, something that just isn't working um, that maybe we just don't want to see in our day-to-day lived reality, but we're very aware. We're actually very aware and very intelligent and very psychologically acute in this way. Um, And if we pay attention, we can use that information to our benefit. I mean, really, we can use that to our great benefit. I think that this too, like, harkens back to a feeling I was having about dreams that they're very much like movies in that perspective uh, shifts so drastically. And we have so many different perspectives that we can't have in our waking life. We may be in two places at once in our dream. That often happens to me. I'm in my room, but I'm also at the seashore or, you know, something like that. Or I'm very high above things, um, you know, with this sort of global view of something, very Jupiterian. Um, Those kinds of perspective shifts are very interesting. And they are very much like like films. You know, like when we watch a film, we're able to um, shift perspective very quickly. We have time collapse, rewind, you know, fast forward. in a way that we are, we don't necessarily have much access to um, in just our like conscious steps through our reality. Also, I don't know if you've seen um, the dream Cemetery of Splendor. The dream, or you mean? Oh, did I say the dream? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is like a dream. That's so funny. It is. It is very much like a dream. Yeah, I've been thinking about this movie, Cemetery of Splendor, um, by, I'm going to completely demolish this name, but um, Apichapong Verisophical, I think, is how to pronounce it. Um, this is a Wait, I wonder, I feel like I've been listening to a song with that title. 
I'm going to see if I can. Oh, that would be pretty wonderful. Um, yeah, Cemetery of Splendor. Is it a song you've been listening to? Yeah, by Jenny H. Val. I oh, Jenny Val. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sure I'm that like H Val. Okay. I'm sure, I don't know. I think it's Jenny Val, but I don't know either. But I love I love them, and I'm sure they've definitely seen that movie. They're very intelligent. But um, Cemetery of Splendor is a very phenomenal, beautiful movie. It has very um, explicit sort of dream content, and the imaginal comes through in reality. But it's a very sort of mundane expression of it in the film it doesn't try to dress it up because it doesn't need to be dressed up and I feel like this director has quite a through line to that um understanding you know that that the way that we experience reality um sort of like fractures and is prismatic but it isn't necessarily this um dramatic experience it's quite subtle most of the time at least for me it feels quite subtle um, that's why it's right. so beautiful because you can miss it if you're not paying attention often. Yeah. So can we have the pleasure of hearing some more of your writing? Sure. sure. Um, I, if you would like, I can share that dream that you brought up. Um, but I was going to share just something that was, um, it was just something that I uh, wrote like a sort of journal entry maybe five years ago, a friend who's a writer um, prompted me and she just asked me to um, talk about like what I was looking at or what was right around me. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find it. Um, we have time for both. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, she said, what are you looking at right now? And this was my response. This was about five years ago. I lived in Los Angeles. I've been talking to the plants in my backyard. My teacher was on the porch. She was moving the wind with her hand. See, I can make it fast or slow. This tree is listening, she said, interrupting a long story. We had all come outside one by one. We were paying attention to her because we loved her. She loved us back and she loved the tree. She made space for the tree and for the wind so we could see they were communicating. They felt that appreciation. My door opens to a big backyard. It's on a hill sloping to the southeast. From the spot I'm sitting, you can see into every direction for miles. My roommate says he's embarrassed of the yard because the grass is yellow. He's funny. In the mornings, I come outside with my grandmother's china candy dish and an American spirit oiled with lavender. I drink a cup of coffee in the mist. The air has settled on me, and I have settled for it. I want it too. There's no other way to be in the world than to settle right in where you are. My dog knows this, not because she has a dog, but because she lives. She explores the lawn, the trees, the branches a foot from the ground, and she eats the dirt. It's fine. My best conversations are here sometimes. It's because of the sun. It's because of the fountain, the sound of water continuing. And it's because I said yes, and then I shut up. I said, I want to know how you feel without meaning, how do you feel about me? 
I look at a person in front of me without losing the surrounding scene. I see the parts connect, or I stop seeing the connection. I see the world, how it exists without glue, without me and you, and I see that you are me, but that's not the feeling. The feeling is eternity. Detail spreads, pattern covers everything. Air to plant, to dog, to chair, to power line, to sound of car, to smoke, to water dropping into stone. You to me and us in all of it and none of it these things, but all of it myself. And life is good, but not just satisfaction. No words form for it, it is being. Feel the magnetism of every single thing and I practice. I reach my hand to the dog, stroke her fur, look at her eyes in the light of the day. I see the bird and see the sound of the airplane engine. I see the texture of the doorknob in my hand. It looks like rust, rust scratching my palm. Everything looks like what it tastes like. Everything smells like what it sounds like. Everything feels like everything that ever was will be. There's no use in seeking fear. My feet are in the ground and the flower is right beside me. It says hi. Mm, that's so enchanting. <laughs> that was I want to spend <laughs> more time in that kind of perception field. Because that I sounds, you know, was having me feel like um, that's such a practice. It reminded me of the time that I spent um, like reading and writing every day, like poetry, mm -hmm. and just how you get used to like really like perception being your art and your medium. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think of you as doing that all the time. <laughs> um, because when we have conversations, that's what we're generally talking about. Talking about, yeah. I mean, I think I feel your moon in Taurus really strongly and I have Jupiter in Taurus um sextiling my stellium in Cancer. Yeah, it's like the just the sensuality. Neptune. Yeah, it, it yeah, that sort of that sensing into something timeless and something um whole and beyond what we can see from the senses is yeah. I think what rules my whole experience yeah. there yeah. was something just this particular part that like got something for me with like the mention of the telephone lines or the telephone pole because the image of that like out in the world like might be mundane or like might not be noticed but something about it threaded this sense of like this awake kind of perception and taking in the scene and this feeling of it being like part of the net that was interconnected mm. with everything. And sometimes I've really seen writing for me as a way, to, like a portal for happiness. Like it can take any kind of situation, anything. You know, I remember one of my teachers um, in undergrad talking about this French poet. I can't remember which one, but that he was like, could see the glory in like piss in an alleyway mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And just like, I don't 
necessarily go for like gross images as my inspiration, mm-hmm. but that quality of being able to find the sensuality in literally anything mm-hmm. is a way that I source appreciation and awakeness and aliveness and eros in any space that I'm in. And it's not something that just happens necessarily. It's something that I actively choose to turn on or cultivate a practice of. And writing is a way, you know, that I end up getting there. Totally. And I feel that with your writing. Absolutely. I actually do love to delve into disgusting things. It's like one of my favorite things in writing. I love to mediate sort of between yeah, um, definitely. Really I mean, if it's there, <laughs> yeah. if it's there, yeah, I, actually, I have a poem, actually, if you want to hear it, that does have like sort of both of those things combined. Sure. If you're interested, this is something that I wrote. Um, I have to call it up. I wasn't planning on reading it, but it does have to do with that. And um, I think that it, yeah, I mean, I, I am really, really invested in material. Like, uh, Earth, you know, I'm a Virgo rising, Virgo Mars, Jupiter and Taurus, like uh, South Node and Taurus. I have a lot of Earth energy and I'm very invested in the material reality too. And I don't think that, I think they're inextricably tied, you know, like the material reality, the um, ethereal reality, like these things are one and the same. They just, um, they appear maybe in different ways, but they're always shifting. Um, let me see. I'm trying to remember this poem. Well, maybe we can move on. It will come back to me. <laughs> Do you want to share the Apple one? <laughs> sure. Yeah, if I can find it. Let me see. I think we, so I was in your incredible class, Image Hive, which was a writing class, which I absolutely loved. And I still use a lot of those practices that you taught in that class, um, particularly the one where you just begin to write or talk without uh, any kind of intention and just see which words come out. That's something I do constantly. Um, But let's see, looking for the dream. Um, I actually do have it on Instagram as well. So I can probably just find that pretty easily. Um, I have really, I just found actually, I just found a different one because I often just share snippets of my dreams on Instagram, which some people are interested in, (laughs) not all, but I find them so funny and just fun. So one dream that I had was my friend is a sad mirror breaking up with me. I go running naked inside a homemade plastic hourglass. (laughs) I think that we can be just so creative in our dreams. And I often use my dreams for my writing. It's actually my number one inspiration for writing. I found something that I wrote. Oh, yes. I know I said, so this is from September. I may edit it a little bit as I'm reading (laughs) it. I am becoming aware that I am finally in the presence of Celine, my friend, now an orphan, who I last saw at the funeral of my father years ago. Her existence, totemic. 
Swallowed in the sands of time, there is more silence and distance between us than there is content. But she told me once that she gets chills in her body when she reads my Instagram posts, and I never forget this spark of recognition. Her bigness stems from my early memories. A teen while I am a child, a teen blossoming into a woman while I am a child. For this, she is always imprinted for me as a force of womanhood. I am becoming aware that I am finally in her presence, sun-bleached hair tossing in the wind, her eyes fierce and level and black with a crescent moon levity. An excitement in my belly breaks through the center channel of my body and up through my throat, upward directed gravity compelled as though a fountain. I tell her I'm so grateful she reads my writing that it means everything to me. Our other friend is proud, feels responsible, his presence suddenly wedges between us in a non-threatening way, but with a radical amount of space like a planet. I've told you two about each other, he exclaims. He has cared more over time about the glue of our bonds. Celine and our other friend run ahead. We are on a winding street of beachfront homes, simultaneously streets shaped like an inward revolving conch shell. And yet each home is still a beach view. Each home is still lapped by the tides and the sea foam. As they run a quickened glance of back, leg, back legs chopping up and down, they kick up a pink cloud, glittery, cotton candy-like when it is close to the ground, but difficult to breathe in, gasoline-scented and turning into a gray mist as it rises and diffuses into the air. Even while almost sinister, I'm unbothered by the smoke, laugh about it, ask them to look back and see what they made. Eventually, I am forgetting where I am. And I come back into awareness on a bed with three sets of limbs, including mine, coming into focus and a soft Saturday morning cartoon feel of childhood washing over me. Everything is the 90s, the plastic flower power shapes hanging from the ceiling, the beaded curtains, the massive television with a small screen. We watch a curiosity show about an aquarium. Everything is tinted purple and glitters. On the show, a little girl announces she is going to swim and get online and all the adults have cognitive dissonance. As the girl descends underground by white ladder to the aquarium below what was perhaps a house, the fishes that come up to the glass are accompanied by giant cell phone screens. Text messages reveal the fish's thoughts and word and cartoon image coming into focus in soft lightning flashes, curtains lifting, symphonic reveal. We know without having to be told that it is only the girl who can see the fish's thoughts. A last piece of glitter, bright like a sparkler, takes all the scene away and diffuses it to one single point in the center of the te television screen with a searing audio boom. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that was just like incredible. I that's so gorgeous. And there's so much motion in it. I mean, that's what I really love about it. And that's what I love about dreams too, is that there's this like momentum. And it's yeah, and this this one, by the way, it's like it is based off of a dream, but some of the dream, like it's difficult to translate dreams. So yes, I take yeah. liberties. We like all this do. was something, yeah, that I created as a meditation of being inside of the dream body mm -hmm. and writing from the dream body. So it's like of the dream, but it became its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we all do that because we have to translate one language, dream language into our living language, of, you know, like our living conscious reality. We have to translate it. So we use 
language. We use, you know, our words to try to do that, to um, communicate what we've learned and picked up in our dream life. So we're always interpreting as we, you know, as we write these things down from our dreams and we are creating something from it that wasn't necessarily there, what we're doing something with it, it's material and we're sculpting. That was so beautiful. And there were so many things about it that struck me. One was, there was just a moment where you said, I come back into consciousness. And I thought, well, what were you doing before? <laughs> what was <laughs> That was consciousness too, right? But it's so true also, like you're coming back to something. You're in one place and then you're coming back to a different place and those sort of like yeah it's like those worlds within worlds are just like extraordinarily compelling to me but also I found it really funny and sort of uncanny that you mentioned this little girl and she's talking about being online and I remembered that I had this dream that you really responded to once we're in the dream, I was doing something else, but there was a little girl in a bathing suit lying on the rug. And she said something about something about like friendship and loneliness. And she said, when I was a kid, all my friends were online. <laughs> and she was a kid. <laughs> and just this like this sort of reading of children's uh insights in dreams at them being like so sort of compelling and confusing and there, there being something in it that is obviously of great import, but we can't quite get it. Um, which, you know, I think the dream I shared earlier has that in it too, where this child was saying, you know, I could lose myself in this disaster. And we turned to each other like, that's important, but I don't really understand <laughs> what just happened. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I really love to hear your writing. As you speak, I have a very Geminian experience of like many bubbles sort of floating up in different directions that I, I could like ride on any of them into so many territories of thought. Um, it's really very fun for me. I did find the dream that you were speaking of. If you'd Yay. like to share that. <laughs> okay. And thanks so much for, yeah, just like, I feel even just talking to you about this writing makes me want to write more, you oh, know, and just like do. translate my dreams into this style of writing. Please, so. please do. I, honestly, there's nothing I love more to read than people's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> there used to be a comic strip um, in, uh, I think, like a free San Francisco newspaper that was just a comic strip where people would send their dreams to this um, comic artist and he would illustrate them. They were amazing. Just people are so creative in their shape. <laughs> But here's the stream that you um, responded to when I was in Image Hive with you. I'm in an office. It's my office, but everything in it is anachronistic. The computer is the gray beige box of the 80s, and I am trying to work, but it's unclear if there's a job for me to do. Seems like I am mostly just pacing aimlessly every now and then running my index finger down the battered spine of a book on the shelf. I turn around too quickly and knock my apple off the desk. It flies out the window or a painting. It's unclear what I'm looking into to see where it went. Incidentally, it was green, but this also feels important to note because next I step up into the frame of the window painting and jump down onto a field. 
My apple disappears into the vast saturated green screen of the grass. And a girl runs over to me scornful and shouts, please stay off of our field. It seems she's involved in some sort of game, soccer, I think. But it dawns on me with fully formed recognition, the way one knows in dreams that the game is a ruse, that there's something the game is hiding from view, a very intentional distraction. She says, don't throw your apple in here. I tell the girl who I know is a girl because of the overtly feminine clothes she and the other girls who I can now see on the field downwind are wearing that I didn't throw anything, that I accidentally knocked the apple and it fell out the window and rolled into the field. Her eyes change, soften, and she regards me for a moment, deciding yes or no, then puts her hands on my back and leans in close. She says, there's something going on down here. You shouldn't stay, it's dangerous. And she tells me with her hand over her mouth for cover and her eyes darting back and forth, that there is a secret band of radio DJs who are watching the girls and saying things over the radio waves. It gets into my head, she says, growing ever more anxious. She says, all the girls know, we can all hear it. That's why we're here. I turn and survey this group, kicking a soccer ball back and forth, realizing suddenly they're only barely playing. They're more performing some perfunctory show for whomever might be watching, their pink hair ribbons floating on the breeze, their pleated skirts opening and closing softly like fans. Every once in a while, they break character, drift over to one another, stand shoulder to shoulder and look around the green space we are in silently, seriously, like poker players trying to read the other players and their hands, but everything is made of air. The field is so large that I don't know how to leave. It's quiet. I can't hear the DJs. Grass moves softly at my feet, sending signals, but its code is lost on me. The girls are back to their game. Their voices turn giggly, high-pitched, obedient to some invisible, outdated instructions, queuing themselves up to a silent score that's light and pandering and candy-coated. I want to leave, but it's clear that to leave would entail a relentless foot journey in any direction. Lucky for me, I'm suddenly in a car with Blake, whose name I think is Jake. Jake, I ask, as I write down Jake on a pad of lined paper in my lap. Blake, he says, you don't even remember my name, but he's joking. He's a football player, and I remember now that I'm in his car, that I met him out in the field. We are flirting. It feels alive, like something might happen. I'm turned on by his uniform, which is pristine, and the outrageous shape of his shoulders under enormous shoulder pads. He is asking me out, but I'm the one writing down his number. After this dream, I will look up the name Blake to find that no one can be sure if it comes from a word meaning black or from another meaning white. I'm writing his number to give back to him, giggling, pushing him playfully with my hand. But I can't actually see him or any of this because my eyes are fixed to the paper that says Blake. Then, do you know about the DJs, I ask? It just comes out, no thought attached. Just words I heard that day I felt like repeating. What's your number, I ask him. But he doesn't respond. I ask him again, but I realize he's gone. 
almost as though he were never there or was there only as an apparition or a cipher, a character in a video game on a glitchy screen driving beside me. I'm looking at the paper and my feet and the carpeted floor of the car below my feet. The wheels make a repetitive hump, hump sound over the road every several seconds. I'm alone in a way that feels like it has no beginning or end, primordial maybe, but in a car, like an eternal platonic shape, I rest in silence and think to myself, I have always been here by myself. I think of my apple hidden in the green field and stare down and breathe in and out. I do this for a long time like a meditation, then I wake up. That is just like one of my favorite pieces of writing. There's something so like, it's like filled with longing somehow. Like there's something about like, it's like a figment of a figment. There's this sense Mm -hmm. of um, so much happens in between the original kind of like apple falling into the window and all of these scenes and then this like being enchanted by another who's like you know the wild shape of his shoulders (laughs) and then he disappears and you're just left with the like thumping of the car and like thinking distantly about this apple fading into the field like Mm -hmm. um I think that something that you know you do maybe as this like like it's a device it feels like the similes, the like comparisons that you draw, the metaphors to describe the way that things feel Mm. creates all these like images, like you were speaking of earlier with how reality is always um, a prism and there's these different threads happening that to describe that unique texture of a feeling that's evoked by, you know, a car drive or ride in a car that you need these other images to build the bridge. Yeah. Um, and so we're just kind of like along for this journey where there's so many of them <laughs> woven together in this like aesthetic oceanic experience. Yeah, thank you. Um, that is very kind. <laughs> and also it, it um, yeah, like when you say the things about comparisons, I mean, I just think about, I have a Gemini midheaven and I also have a palace vest, a very tight conjunction, conjunct the midheaven. And they are Pattern exactly trying to my moon in Aquarius. And then Pluto in Libra is also trying to my midheaven. So there's a very, very loose grand air trine there. Ooh. And I, I do think that, you know, I, I'm very invested in, yeah, in comparisons, like I, I very much I have a very Geminian experience. I'm always trying to find more information and relate this information to that information. And um, it's the most fun that I have, you know, like that's just the most fun for me is to constantly seek out new sources of information in all kinds of disparate areas and link them together. It's like the lunar part of it, bringing the coherence. And I feel like that, yeah, memory weaving. Memory like the moon really does like consolidate and cohere. It's like water molecules that stick together, just like memory creating a sense of 
person and identity so that every moment as we're walking through the world, we're not just the present moment, we're a web of all of these associations and memories that constitute identity. And so to be pulling in all of these textures and like Pallas Athena, creative intelligence, Gemini, just like recognizing experiences and images and then like the moon weaving them in and Pluto bringing that like penetrating quality to it so that um, it's felt at this kind of, you know, I liked that line in it too of like primordial even. Mm, yeah. I do feel there are these moments in dreams that um, I often have, I'm sure many other people have too, where I come back to a place, sometimes it is an actual literal or literal in dreams place, like a specific place. And in the dream, I recognize, oh, I've been here so many times before. Like what I think is my, what I think is my reality like when I'm living out here talking to you, you know, in my apartment <laughs> that I will exit and go to the store, you know, of course that's, that is my reality, but there's another, there's another base I come back to that's away from this reality. Like perhaps our homes, our bed, you know, wherever it is, is like a base, some sort of safe spot, a place of rest, but there's also a spot in dreams that is that sort of base and resting reality. And often I will come to that space and think, wow, I forget this place. I forget that I'm from here. This is where I'm from. And it is connected to where everyone else is from. You know, it's, I did, you know, I, I do energy work. I did study energy work for years. And in those spaces, particularly like the first experiences I had giving sessions to people in class, there was such a felt sense of something so profoundly still that we can come back to at any time. And yet we're very distracted. We're having fun up here, you know, like up level, but there is something very, very still and generative that we always can notice and come back to and it is sort of like a video game character who's lost a bunch of lives and then like has to regenerate right has to like regenerate the hearts or whatever the red hearts <laughs> um and yeah i i often notice that when i'm dreaming like oh i forget this is where i'm from this is the primordial space we all emerge from and yeah i think it's it's very um, nurturing. Mm. That's so beautiful. I don't really feel like there's a good space to end because I could talk to you about this forever, <laughs> but how can people um, connect with you and work with you? Um, well, I, I have been again doing um, remote energy work and I am giving astrology readings. Um, my website is chariclowenergy.com, C-H-A-R-I-K-L-O energy.com. Um, I am on Instagram though. I am not particularly active there. I'm hoping to become more active there. Um, but yeah, um, chariclow energy and yeah. vertigo opera is my uh personal instagram which i i also share astrological 
feelings, insights there, vertigo underscore opera. I like the the personal professional Instagram, like where it's all one page, you know, too. that's like mine. And it, it helps with the like identity. Um, yeah, I coherence. think so too. I saw um, Krista, Sup Krista, just posted something that I really related to talking about that, about wanting to be more themselves on one right. you know, platform and, like, and invite all that in. The photos that you share, it's like, I hope that, you know, I couldn't see you creating a brand that was so separate from you. Like you just wouldn't do yeah, that. I couldn't do that. <laughs> but like, I, I think that the aesthetic of your photos and what you share, like, like, please just keep doing that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I feel like there's a, um, I've thought about this with Instagram. Like I haven't, you know, managed to have a like an aesthetic grid, it is to, you know, to the best of my, you know, capacity, but it's like, I'm not really a visual artist. And sometimes people have like a really distinct style. And so their grid is distinct. And like, yeah, that's I just don't invest in my Instagram aesthetic because it feels too constraining. And it's interesting because I, I do like branding and I believe mm-hmm. in the value of branding, but I think yes. that there's something about like, you know, yeah, I don't know why I'm musing on this now, but when I, I think, think about your Instagram yeah. aesthetic, I'm like, yeah. please keep that. It is, it can be personal and professional all at the same time. I think that's true. I do think um, a lot of people I know who have a more branded Instagram are also still very, um, you know, like it's very in touch with who they are um, and very naturally expressed. And I, I'm sort of in wonder of that. I mean, I feel that about you too, or like Diana Rose Harper. There are a lot of people who I respond to in that way. And yet I, I just noticed, I'm just not that way. (laughs) I just have a very, it's a loosey goosey um, expression. And yeah, that's, that's who I am. I think as long as we feel the transmission. Yeah. Like I think there's space for everyone to be themselves on these platforms and use them however creatively they want to appreciate how different everyone's expression is on social media so yes (laughs) and you can find me at those places well thank you so much for this super enchanting conversation I feel inspired to um get into the dream body more with some of the you know I've had some vivid dreams lately that have really uh, as you said, like their influences, like they've been on my mind, they've continued to unfold. I've talked about them mm-hmm. and yeah, they keep revealing to me. So I think that yeah. um, we need a revival of people talking about their dreams. Yeah. Um, Zyra, you know, who is in one of my um, intensives shared with me this really poignant idea of like, you know, we can change the culture by bringing up dreams more casually. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I was really moved by that. Um, So we're doing it. (laughs) it. Yes, we're doing it. Other people are doing it and more and more, please. Thank you, Sabrina. Thank you, Elisa. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes.
If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality, including several hours of content that explores the intersections between astrology, as well as some other ideas around manifestation or reality creation. And if you've been tuning into this podcast, you know I like to be interdisciplinary and quite grounded and practical while also visionary and magical. So perhaps you trust me to guide you around reality creation and manifestation. This resource library includes one of the my favorite talks that I've ever given called Leo and the Evolution of Alternate Realities, which explores how play is a primordial precursor to not only human religion, drawing on some ideas from scholar Robert Bella, um, but that play, as we see in the Leo archetype, taps us into the capacity to create alternate realities to literally create our life, to step into that kind of creator consciousness. So if you want to tap into that and support this podcast, I would really love your support with that. Your reviews directly impact the visibility of this podcast. And if you've benefited from this podcast, think about offering that gift to others by not only spreading the word about this podcast or screenshotting the episode and tagging me at Sabrina Monarch on Instagram in your stories, um, but to boost the algorithm by giving it a review and showing your love in that way. Thank you so much for being here and for choosing to listen and spend time with me in these shared magical airwaves. So much love to you. 